0: time when you couldn't call them x babies and then there was a time where you probably didn't want to go anywhere near them for a while they were mutant celebrities just trying to get a little bit more famous and a little bit more money before getting involved in a whole lot of destiny shit and then the name getting reappropriated to a black ops squad And before you know it they're the mutant cia of course we're talking about x-force i'm nico i'm dylan and i'm jonah and we hope you
1: survived the experience
0: And the experience today is all for you guys. One of the biggest questions we've gotten from our listeners is... They're looking for a little bit more background on some of the major team players in the Dawn of X. While we're covering everything, whether it was in the 70s X-Men Explosion or in the 80s Mutant Mania... We're taking a look at the Marvel Universe slowly but surely. That means that there's going to be some material that people are looking to have a little bit more information on... That we just haven't gotten to yet. So, to make things a little bit easier... I've assembled our crack squad of myself, Jonah, and Dylan, and we're going to take a look at some of the most influential titles, what we're going to call the X-Men Legacy titles, and the way they're coming to shape the dawn of X.
1: So, we're starting with X-Force, and I want to get your opinions on X-Force as a whole, so what has your experience been like reading X-Force, either growing up, now, whatever it may be, what do you think of when you hear X-Force?
0: I tend to think X-Force is silly, I'll be really honest. There's so many different forms of it. There's like Cable X-Force, there's Wolverine X-Force, and then there's Ecstatics X-Force. I love Ecstatics X-Force. I usually like Cable X-Force. I sometimes like Wolverine X-Force. So I think it's kind of like the iffiest of the titles for me. It's never been, other than the Milligan-Alred years, it's really never been my favorite.
2: For me, it is the opposite of what Nico just said. When I hear the word X-Force, I actually get like really giddy and like butterflies in my stomach because when I was younger, the first comic that I read, like, I knew comics existed and I didn't really read any of them, but I knew that they existed and that they told stories about superheroes. And I knew about the X-Men but I had never read any of them. I had just seen covers, so I knew what characters looked like, but I didn't really know their names. But the first X-Men comic that I read was an X-Force issue. It was actually X-Force issue 24. It is a comic that has a giant picture of Warpath in the middle, and that's why I am obsessed with him and why I use that name as an avatar. So for me, I love hearing X-Force Okay, so this should be
1: fairly fascinating when we delve into the teams. The first team starts with the Liefeld years from March nineteen ninety to January nineteen ninety three, which encompasses New Mutants eighty seven to one hundred, X Force one to eighteen, and Cable Blood and Metal one to two. This roster included Cable, Cannonball, Boom Boom, Warpath, Feral, Shatterstar, Siren, Richter, Sunspot, and Domino Sorda. So, can someone explain to me what the Domino Sorda is? She not <laughs> prominent.
0: So it she's actually replaced by a shape. Shapeshifter named Copycat, and being replaced by a shapeshifter named Copycat, you know, Domino's there, but it turns out it's not Domino, it's this idiot named Vanessa, who no one cares for, except Deadpool, kind of. You know, when I think about this era, I think about, you can like literally like read the pain in the dialogue as Wheezy Simonson is forcibly pushed out of the book, you can see the complete lack of understanding of what a foot looks like, <laughs> you can... See many a knife finger, quite a few faces that look like somebody tried etching onto a a leather mitt. You know, like a picture of Tammy Faye Baker just, like, etched onto a leather mitt (laughs) and... I think these years of X-Force are kind of like the high-point pinnacle of what I think is silly. It's one of my lowest-ranking eras of X-Force. I think it has to do with the fact that Rob Liefeld left quickly after revamping the book as X-Force, so the new Mutants issues, while not awful, took a few months to get their feet, and then they got hit with a crossover, and then Liefeld started setting up for X-Force, but then he quickly left, and... They weren't sure what to do, so they tried to keep using Liefeld's six- to eight-issue pitch and stretched it out to, like, 16 issues. So it all wound up really thin. It got much, much better when Niciezo started writing on his own, in my
2: opinion. That part I will agree with. It got better with Nicieza's writing. I understand the critiques of the art that you gave for the first arc with Liefeld. I think they were just trying to... I, I'm going to give them some sort of credit and say that I believe they were just trying to give kind of a newish look for a book. They knew how popular mutants and X-Men characters were, so they were going to have mutants, but then have this high action, lots of guns, lots of muscle, just a type of different take on how to write mutants than what's already been written in the X-Men books. So I'm not going to hate on it too much, but I can't understand the silliness that it gives off.
0: Well, don't forget that there's also all that weird stuff that's essentially Rob Liefeld, and trying to come up with his own idea, came up with mutant Highlanders, the Externals, who are not the Eternals, they're the Externals, so they're not Internals, they're Externals. (laughs) And they are basically Highlanders, only an External can kill an External, and, you know, at this point in time, when Rob Liefeld was writing this story, He was still under the impression that Cable was going to be revealed to be a much older cannonball. So the story itself is vaguely unrelated to what it winds up being all said and done. So,
2: I don't know. that was the plan? (laughs) Jonah's like, wait, what? It originally
0: (laughs) sure was.
1: But like, still, still the kid of Madeline
0: and Scott. No, originally just older Cannonball.
1: Oh, uh, that's okay.
0: Sure, I, let's just say there's room for all these ideas. The baby existed, and Cable existed, and then years later, they said they were always the same person. <laughs> Cable was not introduced as the adult son of Gene and Scott Cable was introduced as this random old man and there was also separately in another book this baby. Okay, And for years, the plan was to ultimately reveal that Cable had been Cannonball from far, far in the future, because Cannonball was an immortal known as an external. And as an external, Cannonball lived to, like, the end of time and came back to the past to avert a mutant apocalypse. So he was originally going to be a super-aged Cannonball come to the past. And They had already given him telepathy and tele- I think Rob Liefeld might have been on board with it when they decided to initially make him Gene and Scott's child, but for the first years of Cable's existence, the operating plan was not Scott's child at all. Speaking of Fabian Isieza, his years run from February
1: 1993 to February of 1995. This includes the titles X-Force 19-34, to 34, Cable 1-16, to 16, with the same roster as last time of Cable, Cannonball, Boom Boom, Warpath, Feral, Shatterstar, Siren, Richter, Sunspot, and the actual Domino. And a lot of Deadpool. Awful lot of Deadpool.
2: Yeah, a whole lot of Deadpool. Is this
1: where Deadpool and Cable cement themselves as BFFs?
0: Or is that still later? It's actually much more where Deadpool cements himself as fill-in Cable when Cable's too busy doing Cable-y things. In his own issues. As a matter of fact, interestingly enough, there really hasn't been an X-Force omnibus yet. There was sort of the X-Force New Mutants omnibus where X-Force don't even show up for the first 270-something pages because it's all older New Mutants sort of like closeout stories running through annuals and shit. And then there's the X-Force Deadpool omnibus and this era is primarily collected in that omnibus and it's the X-Force Deadpool years and there's a lot of focus on Cable doing his own thing, being a soldier and a mercenary. I'll be honest, it's still one of my lower eras, but... I like it a lot more than the start.
2: I agree, because this was the era when I started reading X-Force and fell in love with all of these characters that were not X-Men, but in my mind they seemed a whole lot cooler. I feel like this is when there was hints of a possible gay couple in X-Men comics, even though it never kind of went anywhere at this point in time, but the buddy-buddy romance of Richter and Shatterstar seemed a lot more than just buddy-buddy, and being a young kid reading comics and seeing that I kind of even in my mind I kept telling myself that's not what they're writing that I pretended like it was.
0: Oh absolutely I will not lie in my head like because I could see it I could see it in the issues and I was one of those people who was like oh nope look they shared a hotel room fuck you they're a couple. I completely agree I mean Jeff Loeb wanted to make it canon he just didn't have clearance at the time so it was definitely there. I think one of the things that I don't enjoy about the Liefeld or Nicieza years are, these are a little bit closer to overwrought soap opera, so if you're a soap fan, these are great. It's a lot of the same vibe that the Remender years will later recapture. It's that very angst-ridden, dramatic vibe. If you're looking for, like, drama, wrought X-Force with a 90s vibe, I would say the Nisieza years are kind of the best.
2: I think that might be why I like it, because I do like soap operas, and to add to that, this entire team is basically Almost full of just a whole bunch of couples, and then just a handful of people that aren't coupled up. But you have Cable and Domino and Boom Boom with Cannonball, and the kind of there, kind of not there, Shatterstar and Richter, and then the kind of there, kind of not there, Warpath and Siren that only left Sunspot and Feral just there to watch all these couples.
0: And Feral defects to the Newton Liberation Front not too far into this run
2: which I kind of don't like because I really like Feral. I know a lot of people feel like she's just a cat version of Wolfsbane. I get that, but I feel like she's a cat version of Wolfsbane, but then a female version of Wolverine all wrapped up into one. She's just wild, like Wolverine, but everybody hates her, and I don't like that.
1: Dylan, can you tell me more about the New Warriors and how they tie into this time?
2: The New Warriors tie into this because at this time in New Warrior books, one of the members is... Firestar. And we will soon learn in the New Mutant episodes that Firestar used to be a student with the Hellfire Club when they started their own school of youngsters. And that team of youngsters went by the name of Hellions. Another character that started as a Hellion is Warpath and in this era there's some ties or stories that go back to members that were hellions and at one point in time you will learn soon jonah that almost all or if not all of the new mutants also become hellions and so there is a few stories here and there that do showcase and focus on warpath firestar and cannonball
1: i know this is an x-men podcast but i also know
0: firestar becomes good friends with peter parker right well it is predominantly from an animated series there. There have been a number of instances where they've purposely partnered them together based on the success and the emotional popularity that people resonate with those characters. There's a really cool issue of Amazing X-Men that sees a whole super cool Firestar reunion.
1: So moving on to the low beers, which ran from September 1994 to January 1997, which saw the titles of X Force 35 to 61, Cable 17 to 39, and X-Man 1 to 20. This roster included Cable, Boom Boom, Warpath, Feral, Shatterstar, Siren, Richter, Sunspot Domino. Noticeably not Cannonball, but he seems to be replaced with Caliban. Now, I would love to know more about that. What I've read of Caliban so far doesn't seem like there's much of a character outside of just obsession with Kitty Pride.
0: Let me just start off with, I will go to the mat on this arc. I think this run, beginning to end, is spectacular. I love the Jeff Loeb years on Cable and X-Force, and I love the ways that it ties into this particularly powerful story for Tabby, Tabitha, that's Boom Boom, Boomer, Meltdown, Time Bomb, Clickbait, whatever her name is now. There's this whole extended thing with Sabretooth, and that leads into a thing with Psylocke, which ultimately leads into a thing in Excalibur down the line, and it was maybe not the coolest or best story element, but it was visually compelling. I love the loeb years. It was a really interesting point because Cannonball graduated to the X-Men at this point and X-Force became really involved in Cable's ongoing Messiah storyline and his whole Ascani Day Spring. It was an incredible time to be a Cable fan. I've had the pleasure of personally thanking Jeff Loeb for this run. Caliban will go through some interesting transformations before he winds up. Uh, For my money, Caliban is maybe the least necessary part of the run.
2: Everything that Nico said about this run being amazing, I completely agree with. There is a lot of story that is given to a lot of the characters especially with Cannonball graduating and leaving but like he mentioned with stories that were given to Boom Boom and her character growth and development and like you mentioned Caliban is given an interesting kind of twist of becoming the bruiser of the team over Warpath which kind of bothered me because I didn't really understand why we needed to have two giant muscly dudes there but as a Warpath fan this is also the time when Warpath started to grow a really good friendship with Caliban so that part makes me really happy and in these years with Loeb I think it was actually during this time that Richter actually left the team and it gave a little bit more signs of him and Shatterstar's relationship because when he did leave the team Shatterstar was pretty torn up
0: the final two issues of Loeb's X-Force if I'm not mistaken are the two manga issues in the Mojoverse that are hyper-stylized they are. And-,
2: and to go along with Karen, getting lots of depth to their history. Shatterstar gets some depth and some really confusing depth. Uh, yeah, I'll just leave it at that.
1: So next, we're going to take a look at The More Year, which ran from December 1996 to April 2000. I was actually finally born during this time. (laughs) We took a look at X-462 to 101, with its roster consisting of Boom Boom, Warpath, Siren, Sunspot, Domino, Cannonball, and Bedlam. So Cannonball is back, and looks like a departure for quite a number of characters, but we now get introduced to Bedlam, who I've never heard of. So what has been your experience with what I would assume is a shift in runs and maybe potentially Leetone?
0: Dylan, correct me if I'm wrong, but I would just say that this was a point at which all X-Books kind of got the same generic 90s tone. This was just after Onslaught. This was sort of that weird Operation Zero Tolerance, but not yet quite the 12. So it's this three years where everything's in this weird holding pattern. And I mean no ill will toward John Francis Moore's run. It's not a bad run by any stretch, but it doesn't really do anything. And it doesn't really go anywhere. And the canon in this time isn't really major outside of some super cool character mode.
2: I would agree. Like he mentioned, this is after some onslaught times. This is also during zero tolerance storylines in Marvel Comics. There is one member that wasn't listed on the roster that did join X-Force at this time. Moonstar had joined for part of this.
0: She absolutely did. When I put this together, how did I leave her out?
2: The More Years was kind of a different tone for the book because Cable wasn't there. Even though in previous arcs, there would be times where Cable would not be the predominant leader. It was a very much different tone without Cable being there and Domino being the leader because Domino is more of a character that does what she wants, not be in charge of a bunch of other people. I mean, it wasn't an awful time, but like Nico said, there was a few good little stories here or there for certain characters.
0: I would say by the end, you were ready for the reset. Whatever was coming next, you needed it, you wanted it. It's one of those cases where like, even if Loeb's take was a really cool new take, it was kind of like a take on Nicieza's take, which was kind of like a take on Liefeld's take, which was kind of like a take on Claremont and Sienkiewicz, which was, you know, it just sort of never ended, that it was reiterations. You were looking for something a little new.
1: What I'm getting asked for these years, it felt like like a lot of cool mini things happening but not a lot of cohesion of an overall engaging story.
0: Yeah, there was no emphasis on creating a bigger picture narrative. There was a lot of try and keep it that if someone's going to buy this book tomorrow, as long as they read the sometimes two-page fold-out insert, they should be able to understand the book.
2: And I wanted to add, Bedlam's a character that not very many people know anything about. I'm sometimes still really confused on what his powers are. I know they have something to do with, like, manipulating electricity of some sort. To kind of go along with the narrative of, I don't think they really knew what kind of way they wanted to go with these books. Previous to this time, there was the Age of Apocalypse storylines. and in Age of Apocalypse, there was sometimes a few characters that were introduced in Age of Apocalypse that we had never seen in the regular Marvel Universe. And there was two characters called the Bedlam Brothers. And they were only ever seen in Age of Apocalypse and then never seen again until this arc of X-Force. We were introduced to Jesse Bedlam and his brother, who was a bad guy for X-Force in a handful of issues.
1: That just sounds convoluted and drama-conflama, and I don't have time for it. (laughs) So we're going to move on to the Ellis reboot from May 2000 to June 2001, which is X-Force 102 to 115, which included the roster of Heat, Wisdom, Cannonball, Meltdown, Bedlam, Proudstar, and Domino. So, my first observation is Pete Wisdom, who I know is an Excalibur character. Yeah,
0: this sucks. I'm gonna just, I'm gonna open up with this sucks. I want it to be good so bad. It's Counterculture by Warren Ellis, through the lens of mutants, led by one of my favorite Excalibur characters, taking charge of one of my favorite new mutants characters, leading them in a bold new direction. Everybody learns to use their powers in exciting new ways, and... It's a really cool run and it's got like some really core members and it is a mistake because what happened was a woman named Suzanne Gaffney who had been the assistant editor under Bob Harris when Claremont was still doing Uncanny had had the idea to put Ellis on a handful of Excalibur doing a plot by Scott Lobdell and he wound up really popular and they decided they wanted him to do the book and he wound up doing the book for several years and he had taken Excalibur from the verge of cancellation to... huge seller again. So they said, can you do the same thing for a bunch of books? And it was called Counter X. And it was meant to be the dark side of Claremont's revolution. And it was Warren Ellis does a counterculture version of the X-Men. And it was and
2: awful.
0: <laughs> X-Force gets this gritty, bonkers redesign. X-Man gets a really compelling visual redesign. And that's where he gets the whole shaman magic tattoo thing. It's really cool, but it ultimately is unfulfilling. And Generation X gets a really...
2: reboot. The Counter-X reboot, I think, is what was the death of Generation X, so I hate it.
0: And its I know we're joking about how it was the death of Generation X and a good thing for X-Man while talking about X-Force, but funny enough, the reason we're talking about it that way is because X-Force is the one book Ellis based out of, so he did plots and worked with Brian Wood on Gen X and he came up with the whole mutant shaman idea for x Men. but the only one he worked on directly, ongoingly, was X-Force and it was not
2: good. I feel like this arc of X-Force was basically the Pete Wisdom show that would occasionally show Cannonball and Meltdown and Domino doing something and Bedlam and Proudstar which I, I'm not 100% sure I cared for Warpath being called Proudstar. I feel like Bad Lamb and Proudstar were always standing in the background doing nothing except for Five panels of Pete Wisdom showing Warpath that he could actually use his powers to fly and basically become Superman, and that made no sense.
1: It wasn't great. I've noticed this roster is one of the smallest of everything we're going to be talking about today, and it's really weird to me to hear that with such a small roster, it's focusing on one character, granted, that doesn't surprise me, because I know Warren Alice will be working on Captain Britain, and I'm assuming Captain Britain and Pete Wisdom have some form of a decent ownership or maybe they hate each other i don't know yet we're not i'm not not there yet but you know there's a time and place for the pete wisdom show if that's what it really was that's just so bizarre that like that was allowed for even though it's only 13 issues that's still quite a long time to have not such a substantial book no disagreement here part of what we didn't like about it oh boy okay
2: (laughs) yeah it was a short arc so let's just move on to the next one
1: <laughs> Moving on to the next one, which God bless me for reading all these names. Okay, the Milligan <laughs> All Red years from July 2001 to October 2004. Best thing ever. X Force 116 to 129, and Ecstatic 126, including this large roster of <laughs> Anarchist, Battering Ram, Bloke, Coach, Dead Girl, Dupe, El Guapo, Fanboy, Spike Freeman, Jin Genie, Henrietta Hunter, La Nuit, Lasuna, Orphan, or Mister Sensitive, Fat, Plasm, Saint Anna, Sluck. Smoke, Spike, Succubus, You Go Girl, Venus De Milo, Vivisector, Washo, and Zeitgeist. Holy moly. Okay, before <laughs> you two tell me your experiences with <laughs> these issues, there are a lot of characters here. Tell me out of these characters,
0: some of your standouts and favorites. I have four easy favorites. One of my all-time favorite fictional characters ever is Dead Girl. I think she oh is the Mbabi,
2: She is she's I, the best character I mean, out of Mr. this S-
0: one. She's incredible. She really is something extraordinary. Mr sensitive is one of the cleverest takes on the x-men ever i adore him i think dupe is better than just about anybody and god help you if you don't have the sense of humor to think lasuna is
2: hysterical i agree with half of your favorites (laughs) i love lasuna and dead girl and mr sensitive he's okay but dupe is slimer and i don't like it
1: (laughs) oh no Oh no, Dylan, you said the bad
0: words. You Go Girl is on a special level and a special list. She is one of those, like, she's like a Tennessee Williams character. She's so spectacular. Venus DeMilo suffers from trying to fill Edie's place on the team after Edie leaves the book, and that's a tough sell for anybody. I love everyone. I love everyone. I also love that originally, Jin Genie's name was going to To be the alcoholist, (laughs) I think that's the greatest joke of all time. Oh my god, that's hysterical!
2: This run, Jonah. It was a team they started out with the name X Force, but then they eventually changed it to X Statics. I don't really understand why they even tried to keep the name X Force, but it was a team that I think did it happen in the first issue, Nico, or was it the second issue where like half the team died?
0: So one of the reasons that things are named, some of the dumb shit they're named sometimes, is to hold on to copyrights. If they don't keep a book named X Force every so often they run the risk of losing the copyright on X-Force and then having to fight to get the trademark or the copyright back. They're not willing to do that, so sometimes they just, they're like, how can we just reboot the title? In the age of the Grant Morrison new X-Men sense of dark, gritty realism, things like X-Force had a sad caveat to it, and it was hard to sell satire in a package that people didn't get was meant to be funny, so they came up with the name Ecstatics to kind of rebrand, and it's, yes, I I think everyone but four people die in the first issue.
2: Yeah, the book had a lot of, Very darkness to it Kind of more so darker than the previous X-Force Being a military type team There's lots of death And lots of very deep dark histories and origins That went with certain characters Like the character that Nico and I both just said that we love Dead girl She was a woman who Correct me if I'm wrong She was raped and murdered And her power did not kick in until she died
0: Hey, but she has a limitlessly powerful undead credit card <laughs> so, Dead Girl's powers are essentially, she is, like, I-, I don't know, like, an all-powerful trans-dimensional gateway to death.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's basically it. <laughs>
0: Yeah, she's incredible, and I love her. I think the issue is that X-Force Ecstatics is meant to be a satire, and it's meant to be a satire of some very morbid ideas that we'd become obsessed with as a culture, and we were looking for our superheroes to look cool while killing, and I think Pete Milligan and Mike Allred, who are just, you know, one of the greatest teams in comic history— and whether it's their brilliant work here or the shade story they did because of this or, you know, Pete Milligan actually has my favorite Hellblazer run Hellblazer being my favorite non-Marvel comic of all time he has the incredible original Shade the Changing Man run with Chris Boccolo for so long he's written some really significant works between Marvel DC, some UK comics this was really one of his high points I'm really glad to see Marvel's taking a chance on bringing it back in the form of The Extraordinary, I believe It's going to be really exciting to see how this translates to a modern audience, but this comic was a satiric nihilistic approach to the vanity we had begun to project onto our idols, and it is certainly a hard read. I know a lot of people who tell me they think it's one of the worst things I love.
2: Another thing that I wanted to mention about Ecstatics is that this is one of the first times that there was a lot of gay members of the team.
0: Oh my god, everyone's
2: fucking gay. main three that were listed in the long list of characters that Jonah mentioned. Bloke. Fat and Vivisector.
0: Vivisector. Yeah.
2: To have a team that had so many, I don't want to say LGBT because there were only just three gay men on a team in comics at this time because it was It
0: was daring. Yeah, it was it daring, was daring to
2: have that many. Different than,
0: yeah, it sure was a hard sell. Moving on from that plethora
1: of characters who didn't even make it to a second issue, <laughs> we have the return of Liefeld and Nisi from October 24th to July twenty fifth, writing X-Force 1-6 to 2004, X-Force Shatterstar 1 to 4 in 2004, with the roster of Cable, Shatterstar, Cannonball, Meltdown, Domino, and Warpath pretty much bringing back the original team.
0: This was at a really awkward point in the X-Office. They had just lost new X-Men, and while Astonishing X-Men was the great hope, Joss Whedon is a very different creator than Grant Morrison. If Joss Whedon is coming in to write your X-Men book, he's coming in to do Shades of Joss Whedon. If Grant Morrison is writing your X-Men book, he's coming in to make all of your mutant fuck sheep. And that's going to be the big difference, so... The whole vibe at this time in the X Office, this astonishing X Men era, was this very get back to the basics, get back to what makes us work. And I remember when they initially announced those books. Like, I, I seriously remember being a member of the CBR forums when that was announced and people being like, are you Are you kidding? Is this real? Is this really happening? Oh, this is real. Oh, no. And then, you know, ultimately, it was 10 issues that weren't so bad. It's what? It's Liefeld, Nicieza, Brett Michaels. It's not terrific, but, you know, I, I wouldn't set my copies on fire. It was cool to see Shatterstone. Star, who is now an openly LGBTQ character, get some spotlight, and I have to assume this was part of the turning point that helped get him that attention.
2: I kind of, I might be biased. Shatterstar, one of my C-lister favorites. I was okay with the Shatterstar one through four, but the X-Force one through six, I feel like shouldn't even exist, and I don't think anything that happened in those issues was ever relevant enough to ever be mentioned beyond their six issues, so they just shouldn't shouldn't have happened.
0: It's, no, it's actually, it's worse than you think. I'm actually gonna, I'm gonna break in with it's worse than you think. Number one, when you put it that way, as soon as you said it that way, my brain went, no, he's right. The Shatterstar Mini, I even remember the reviews for the Shatterstar Mini being like, this is way better than it has any right to be, right? But that X-Force Mini is actually referenced in the Nicieza run of Cable Deadpool.
2: Isn't it? Someone actually mentioned it again. (laughs)
0: Well, I mean, he wrote it, so he just straight up mentioned his own work.
2: I didn't care for it. No, it's bad. If I am remembering correctly, because I think I only read it once, because I thought it was that awful. Aren't they like in an alternate world, and it really has nothing to do with the regular world?
0: Parts of it, and it has this whole thing to do with they're being attacked by the scorn. S K O R N N. It's got two N's, so you know it's really yeah, evil.
2: Like Thorn, Carol's sister.
0: <laughs> mm, trash kitty.
2: Oh my God, Jonah. Let's move on.
1: <laughs> Before Nico makes more jokes about it's him. Sniper marks. <laughs> The Kyle Yost years from June 2006 to September 2010. For the titles: New X Men 20 to 46, X 23 1 to 6, X 23 Target X 1 to 6, X Force 1 to 28, Cable 1 to 21, Life and Times of Lucas Bishop 1 to 3, X Force Sex and Violence Number 1 to 3, which saw the roster of Hellion, Rockslide, Mercury, Wolverine, X 23, Warpath, Wolvesbane, Caliban, Hepzibah, Archangel, Elixir, Domino, Vanisher, Cable, Cipher, and
0: Deadpool. I- recognize it is well-written, and I see the value to these stories. It's not for me. These are not my favorite years. This is not my favorite story. I... I frequently found myself frustrated, but always thought the art was gorgeous, and it gets stronger at times than others. Specifically, the quest for magic with Scotty Young on art is one of the most breathtaking things the book ever does, but I find a lot of it extreme to be extreme. The Cable and Bishop stuff, that stuff is by a guy named, I want to say, Dwayne Swizerczyk. Swizer, it's a really lovely Polish kind of European name. And I definitely can't pronounce it. And, you know, it took me 15 years to pronounce Bill Sienkiewicz. If anybody wants to write in with how to pronounce his name, I'd be happy to pronounce it properly. And that stuff's great. I love that stuff. I love that cable. I just love cable, but I love that cable.
2: I'm going to agree on some parts and disagree on other parts with Nico. This is my favorite X-Force run. I understand the thinking that it's extreme to be extreme comment, but I feel like that's what X-Force's MO has always been, is to to be the extreme team, (laughs) except for not being called extreme X-Men. I feel like this arc tried to take bits and pieces of lots of other X-Force arcs, the military and... The, from the first arcs of X-Force, the dark time from Warren Ellis's reboot. And I think this kind of made all of them work together. This cable run, prior to this, I was not really a huge cable fan, except for the fact that he was the leader of some X-Force arcs that I did enjoy. This cable run during this time is actually probably one of my absolute favorite solo runs of any X-Book because I just feel like it's the best written story for cable
0: it's the one where he can't stop jumping forward yeah right yeah with no more details than that to keep it a little bit vague but it's the one where he's just always going forward right yes yeah this one has some really beautiful internals it's got like king-size cable and it's got that annual yeah and it's got all the beautiful Olivetti painted covers
2: correct There there is one or two issues that give Warpath some closure to some things that he very much needed in his life
1: Something that I've noticed about this roster is that it's a much more eclectic collage. Wolverine and X-23 and Archangel seem really weird. Wolfsbane and Cipher are like the two new mutants who haven't appeared yet. But Hepzibah? (laughs) Okay. Dylan was telling me uh, at one point the Starjammers are no more and Hepsiba's like, I'll be an X-Man now. And I was like, okay, sure. (laughs) Maybe? Welcome aboard, Skunkly. Okay, you do you. But I wanted to ask, do you think... (laughs) that had any effect that these aren't new characters are characters that are on the back corner. These feature some pretty popular characters. Do you think that had any effect on your perception of the story or
0: a much more general audience perception of the stories? Well, so these guys took over the very kind of Marvel romance-y New Mutants run that had been going on and it immediately became very, blow up the school! It was unbelievable the number of telepaths and telekinetics that couldn't stop kids from constantly exploding but beyond that it was a run of new mutants that really should have always been called x-force but it started with the kids so it sort of graduated organically to being called x-force it certainly changed the x-force formula this was when uh, wolverine took over for cable and cable was still like tangentially you know, gluey pants to them, but it was really his book.
2: Yeah, there was a time when I had stopped reading comics for a while and then I came back and when I did was when this X-Force team was starting and in my mind, because I am at that point in time not a huge Wolverine fan, I had told myself that I probably wasn't going to like it because I felt like the book was probably just going to be Wolverine and these other characters following him around. But Kyle and Yost, I feel like, wrote, really good stories that I think Wolverine kind of did come off as the lead but it was the Wolverine leading a story into different aspects of the other members history I guess if that makes sense it wasn't really the Wolverine show and that's why I enjoyed it
1: Now we're going to move on to the remainder year from September 2010 to December 2012 which featured Uncanny X Force 1 to 35 and Uncanny X Force Fear Itself 1 to 3 This saw the roster of well, Wolverine, Archangel, Psylocke, Deadpool, The Love of My Life, Phantom X slash Eva, Deathlock Prime, and Age of Apocalypse Nightcrawler.
0: This is probably one of my least favorite X-Men books of all time, Barnon. I think Rick Remender has never nailed a character voice I appreciate. I don't get what people see in Remender. I never have. I don't get it. And... This run was never won for me, and I, for one, was very glad when it was
2: over. I completely agree with Nico. Um, for a while, I thought it was maybe just my bias of being angry that this X-Force team didn't have a lot of characters that I cared for, and it didn't have characters that I love on it. Since the prior X-Force had characters like Domino and Warpath and Spain on it that I did like, this team just had a ton of... I guess A-listers, but like Nico said, I kind of feel like these characters were not written the way that those characters should be written. I kind of feel like all—when this arc started, there was just five of them, and it was Wolverine, Archangel, Psylocke, Deadpool, and Phantom X. I feel like those five were all the exact same character— and just written a little bit different because they would be talking to each other. But I feel like they were just clones that were just sent out to shoot or stab things.
0: It was a truly taxing experience for my fandom because I just, I hated every character in it, and I love every character in it. So it was really hard for me, and it gave us a lot of major elements to canon that I just didn't care for this was not my X-Men this was not my Wolverine Rick Remender has never for my sake never nailed a character and that made about six years at Marvel pretty tough
2: I think the only time during this arc where it was kind of interesting was when this X-Force went to visit Age of Apocalypse and as I've mentioned in other shows I loved Age of Apocalypse so I'm glad that we got to see what was currently happening there and then when X-Force returned Age of Apocalypse Nightcrawler returned with them and at this point in time he was a hot badass at at this point in time in X-Men books there was very much a need for a Nightcrawler and it was nice to have Nightcrawler back but then this Nightcrawler turned out to be really not like the wholesome Nightcrawler that we're used to and it was really shocking but it was really also kind of amazing to see a new take
1: something i just want to touch on that dylan mentioned this seems like it's the only roster filled with very popular characters and i think that in and of itself might have been part of its downfall well i hear what you're both saying that remender wasn't able to nail these voices well it feels really bizarre to me to have all a-listers in this title when that's never happened before and it'd be one thing if they had one or two more ubiquitous members but there's no one here who's been on it anywhere earlier than 2006. That's just it, that's just really bizarre to me that that was a direction that that was allowed to happen.
0: No one was telling Rick Remender no at the time. <laughs> that was a really major thing that was happening at Marvel for a while. Guy's not talentless, Fear Agent is awesome, but I did not think this book was unimpeachable.
1: So now moving on, if one X-Force wasn't enough, now we have double the X-Force. From December 2012 to January 2014 which saw Cable in the X Force One to Nineteen, and Uncanny X Force One to Seventeen. This saw the characters of in Cable and X Force: Cable, Hope, Forge, Meltdown, Colossus, Domino, and Doctor Nemesis. In Uncanny X Force, we saw Storm, Psylocke, Puck,
0: Cloister, Spiral, and Bishop. Uh these were not great years. They were not a shit show, but they were not great years.
2: I agree. (laughs) They were very much like uh, the more years at the end of the 90s. I feel like they were like, oh, we haven't had a ton of X-Men books in a while, so let's have an X-Force book. But let's have another X-Force book too. But on one of them, let's have Storm be the leader because Storm has never been on an X-Force team. So let's do that and make it happen and it not be amazing, but it not be great. I feel like the only thing that came out of the Uncanny X-Force books with Storm's team was the fact that For a number of years, Bishop was not in books, and then they decided to bring him back, and they kind of gave him a story of where he was, and that was basically it.
0: Yeah, I think the problem was that there was no room for a unique narrative at this point. Storm was also leading her own all-female X-team, and in addition to that, was appearing in a number of other books, and also had a solo title. There was just a little too much going on, and it also added some really weird shit to the Cassandra Nova canon that I feel like it had no right to I, I don't know it was just an odd time
2: to discuss the other book, Cable and X-Force. I don't think anything really came out of that one either. I really kind (laughs) of only remember the fact that in this run, they decided to have Colossus and Domino become a couple. I don't really remember anything else. Which was dumb as fuck. Agreed. He had just been
0: evil. Oh yeah, he had just been evil and wasn't evil anymore, but was all grungy about it and like gross. So like, whenever that happens, he always bangs somebody that makes no sense. The first time it was rogue, this time it was domino.
1: It's weird. <laughs> it's just weird. Alright, from Colosso slamming down domino, I guess. Or maybe the other way around.
2: Who knows? I yeah, sure I'm don't.
1: pretty sure it's
0: the other way around.
2: Yeah, it would definitely be the other way around with domino.
1: Okay, you heard it here first. Domino pegs Colossus. I feel like he'd be in. <laughs>
2: We have
1: the Spurrier year from February 2014 to February 2015, which saw X-Force 1 to 15, which run from April 2014 to April 2015. Okay. And this saw the roster of Cable, Domino, Psylocke, Marrow, and Phantom X. And no, I actually do have a question. It's featuring Psylocke. Is this Betsy Braddock Psylocke or Quan and Psylocke?
0: At this point, there's still one person in canon. Oh, oh, okay. So So yeah, it's Betsy Psylocke okay I really love Cy Spurrier as a writer and Cy Spurrier's X-Men Legacy is one of my all-time favorite books out of Marvel ever and I think most, if not every page of this, is nonsense.
2: Yeah, I would agree too. I remember I was actually excited that Spurrier was writing this and when there was solicits showing who this team was, I thought it was actually interesting because I, ha- I was happy to see Cable and Domino back on a team together. I know they had just been in Cable and X-Force, but they kind of, it almost seemed like they were hardly ever in any scenes together. I think they were afraid to have Cable and Domino together with Domino sleeping with Colossus. And I was really Really happy to see Mero returning, because at this point in time, Mero hadn't been in X-Comics for a while. But I think the only thing that was really good about this run was <laughs> cover art, and that's about it.
0: Yeah, that's, I mean, it was Tang and hot. right? Yeah. He's so ridiculously talented. It's like him and Mike Del Mundo. For a couple of years there, when the two of them made comic book covers, it was sort of like, why is anybody else in the industry? This was a disaster. It had no right being called X-Force. It was just weird. It was a Weapon X book, is what it was. This was like Frank Thierry's Weapon X fanfic
2: but i will say that during this run there was a mention about how cable's techno virus that is has always been killing him for the past couple of years how he then decided to put himself in some sort of suspended animation and then make clones of himself because he was dying every day i know on lots of Fan pages and especially Facebook groups that I'm in or run, people have mentioned about how they wonder if Hickman during New Dawn of X is going to maybe mention that maybe some thoughts of what happened with Cable and his cloning himself every day may have led to Hickman's resurrection protocols.
0: I think that's amazing. So
2: yeah, maybe Dawn of X will give this run of X-Force maybe some sort of light that we never knew.
1: Maybe, but before that, we still have one more run to talk about. The Never Set a Chance, Don't Name It, You'll Get attacked. In February of 2019 to September 2019, X-Force 1 to 10, which included the roster of Cable, Domino, Cannonball, Meltdown, Warpath, Deathlock, and Shatterstar.
0: I think the solicits should have come labeled, we're going to cancel it. We're going to cancel it right away. We're going to cancel it while you're reading the first one. Don't open it. We're canceling it. And this is, I'm really serious. I very, very seldomly say anything like this. I've seen art from this creative team that I think is impressive. I specifically think this book was ugly. I don't know what it was about the way this writer and this Penciler and the, the, the full art team came together because they're all very talented but there was just something about this that was not an exemplary work of anybody
2: I'd agree with the art comment and, and basically everything else about the book as well but the art again with me being biased about Warpath and my other favorite character Shatterstar I've seen these this art in other comics and other X books and sometimes it is absolutely beautiful and stunning but in this book it was not The only thing that just like the Spurrier run that was great about this arc was I think maybe only the first two or three issues had Pepe Larraz on the cover art and that was really kind of the only thing that I liked about this run.
0: Yeah, you know I was about to be like, no no there was that cup. Co- no it was a cover, yep, got it. Yep. And now we're facing an entirely new form of X-Force. What X-Force is now, I don't know it's kind of almost what X-Core was, almost. And come to think of it, they've already announced that there's going to be an X-Core title, so perhaps that's going to be another episode we take a look at. Jonah, have we helped you understand what the X-Force is supposed to be about a little bit more? Overall,
1: yes. But it also feels like they never really knew what they wanted X-Force to be. I felt like they had an idea at first, and then they kind of just handed it off to so many different people, and everybody wanted to take it in their own direction, that I think the overall message of whatever this title was supposed to be got completely lost in translation.
0: I think that's a virtue of trying to keep a going for 30 years. Dylan, were you excited to take a look at X-Force's history and now that you have, were you still excited?
2: (laughs) About 50-50. I know that I love X-Force because it was my first comic, but I know that most or half of its arcs have been really off kilter. I feel like When X-Force first started, it was meant to be this more muscly team that might do things in a way that the X-Men or in a way that Xavier may not like, but knows has to be handled. And then I feel like it started to lose that thought of that being its purpose. I feel like during the Kyle Yost years, they kind of got more back towards that purpose of this is a team that will do the things that the X-Men won't. And then I think it lost that purpose again. But after the first issue of the new Dawn of X, X X-Force, I feel like it is getting back to the fact of this is a team that will be the muscle that mutants need to have for their self-defense of their nation, not necessarily self-defense of just being superheroes fighting villains. I think this X-Force to me at least seems like the force or like the military to guard this new nation and I'm kind of excited about that.
0: I sure am too because I think what we're talking about is an era of X-Men where they need that protection more than ever. Five issues into the dawn of X and there's already been an assassination of the mutant leader. We're definitely looking at a new bold era of X-Men and I couldn't be more excited to move forward until we take another look at the incredible dawn of x dylan where can everybody find you online
2: everybody can find me at my facebook group for all things x-men that's called house of x or you can find me on instagram at warpath underscore dylan that is warpath underscore d-y-l-a-n jonah where can everybody find you
1: not making it to the second issue (laughs) Just kidding. You can actually find me on Twitter and Instagram at Rubino and at
0: Dona.Rubino. Where can we find you? You guys can find me all over this amazing network making shows like HTML with my husband, Jonah's boyfriend Kevo, or all the different feeds of this show. Well, we're going to be spending the rest of the year taking a look at Dawn of X from every different angle we can. We are more than excited to get back to 80s Mutant Mania, as well as anytime you want to look at the archives and you guys can check out the amazingness that is the 70s X-Men explosion. Don't forget to check out my awesome webcomic at KidRiotComics.com or my Instagram at NicoAction. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. And until we come back to be part of the Quiet Council, we'll see you. Bye. Goodbye.